Well, good morning. How are y'all doing today? Yeah? Pretty good. There's like two-thirds of you that are awake. That's a pretty good, that's a nice start on a Sunday morning, right? Especially a cloudy, dark, almost rainy Sunday morning. I'm kind of like some of y'all this morning. I'm here, just not sure I'm really here. I had a cold all week this week. Went to the doctor, got the prescription, got the steroid shot, got my voice back, life is good. But this morning I'm running around here, like I know what I'm doing, drinking coffee, eating donuts and cinnamon rolls with sugar, taking prescription and over-the-counter cold medicine. This could be a fun Sunday. (laughs) It's either going to be a train wreck, which is fun in its own right, or it's going to be awesome. I don't know which. We're going to see what the Lord does. Hey, last week we celebrated Easter. We celebrated the risen Lord Jesus. What a weekend. What a Sunday we had. If you were here, you know it was a, it was a packed house. But even more important than that, we heard an awesome message. We heard a message about Jesus arising from the dead and calling us, inviting us to arise and live in a risen life with him. And it was an awesome Sunday. I thoroughly enjoyed being here, meeting a lot of new people. And I see some of your faces back here this week. And I'm so excited to have you guys here. And if you're here for the first time or for the second time or for the, you know, 50 second time, whatever it is, I want you to know that everything you see and everything you hear today has been prepared and will be delivered with you in mind given to us by God and prepared and delivered with you in mind. And so we're just glad that all of you are here. Now we left off last week on Easter Sunday in Luke 24. We looked at the Easter message. We talked about the the crucifixion of Jesus, the death and the burial. We talked about what happened during Holy Week. And then we talked about Resurrection Sunday and the risen Jesus. And I told you last week, I promised you in fact, that in the next couple of weeks, we would be talking about what Jesus said, and what Jesus did after the resurrection. Because he didn't just poof himself out of the grave and then like disappear into heaven never to be seen or heard by anybody. Jesus hung out on earth after he rose. And he was seen and heard by lots of people over a pretty considerable period of time. And so I want us to spend the next couple of weeks today and probably next Sunday as well, and maybe one beyond that, talking about what Jesus did and what Jesus said and how those things apply to us today. He said them and did them after he arose, but they still apply to us 2,000 years later. So we're going to be continuing in Luke 24. So if you want to go ahead and open your Bibles to Luke chapter 24, we'll be starting with verse 13, so you can put your finger on that and be ready. But when we left off last week, we were in Luke 24. The women, Jesus' followers, the women among them, had gone to the tomb, if you recall. They had seen that the tomb was, in fact, empty. They were astonished. And they had angels appear to them and tell them, They were looking in the wrong place for Jesus. They were looking for the living among the dead. And Jesus was living. He was risen. And these women were just, wow, blown away. And so they ran back to the other disciples. And they told them what they had seen and what they had been told by the angels. And the other disciples, if you remember, doubted. They weren't sure. They couldn't really process. They couldn't believe that what these ladies were were telling them could possibly be true. 
But Peter got up, put on his Nikes, and he took off running for the tomb. And when he got there, he saw things exactly as the ladies had described. The tomb was, in fact, empty. There were Jesus' grave clothes lying where his body should have been, where it had been. And Luke tells us that Peter left the tomb wondering what had happened, wondering what in the world had gone on. And I told you last week that we're blessed that we have the rest of the story. We got the rest of the story. And so today we're going to talk about the rest of the story. On the day that Jesus resurrected from the dead, on the day that he arose from the grave and lived again, he appeared to two of his followers. And he walked with them and he talked with them. And that story is told as we continue in Luke 24, starting with verse 13. Now buckle up, put your big boy pants and your big girl pants on. We're going to read a lot of scripture right off the top this morning. Luke 13, or I'm sorry, uh, Luke 24, starting with verse 13, and we're going to go all the way to verse 35. If you don't have your Bibles, follow on the screen. If you have them, read with me. Here we go. That same day, the day that he arose, two of them, two of his followers, that's what the them means, two of Jesus' followers were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and they discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. But they were kept from recognizing him. I don't know how they didn't recognize him. The Bible just says they were kept from recognizing him. Verse 17, he asked them, What are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, or Cleopas, or something like that, asked Jesus, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? Now remember a couple of weeks ago, Pastor Nick taught us about Holy Week. And we talked about what was happening during Holy Week. We talked about Palm Sunday, and he taught us that Jews from all over the place would have come into Jerusalem during that week to celebrate the Passover together. And so Jerusalem, its population swelled, double, triple. We don't know a lot of people were there that didn't live there. And so these guys are saying, what, are you, are you an out-of-towner that was here for the celebration and somehow you, you missed what took place? And Jesus, Jesus is so cool. <laughs> Jesus being Jesus, Jesus... Jesus asked them the question, what things? Like he didn't know. What things? And they answered, about Jesus of Nazareth. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. Remember, we talked about this. Most of the, of the Jews at that time thought that the Messiah, when he came, was going to be some conquering military hero, some, some king who would set up his earthly kingdom and, and rescue Israel from Roman rule. He was going to, like, kick them out of the country. That's what these guys are saying. We, we thought he was 
going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, they said, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but they did not find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said, he is alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and they found it just as the women had said, but they did not see Jesus. Jesus said to them, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and with all the, through all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going to go farther. But they urged him strongly, stay with us for it is nearly evening and the day is almost over. So he went in and he stayed with them. And when he was at the table with them, he took bread, he gave thanks, he broke it, and he began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked to us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, It is true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. And then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. When he broke the bread. These followers of Jesus, these disciples, now they weren't part of the eleven, but they were part of the hundreds, maybe thousands, who followed Jesus. They were part of his, his group of disciples. He was their teacher, their, their priest, their rabbi. And they had traveled with him, walked with him, listened to him. They had seen him. They, they didn't recognize Jesus on the road when he appeared to them. They did not recognize the Savior who had just been on the cross, who probably had nail holes in his hands. We know that he appeared to Thomas and showed Thomas the holes in his hands. And so I've got to believe the holes were in his hands on the road to Emmaus. They didn't recognize the man whose beard had been plucked from his face as he was beaten and bloodied and bruised by the Romans and the temple guard as they prepared and tried, or they captured and tried and then prepared him for crucifixion. They didn't recognize Jesus, their rabbi, their teacher, the one who had just called them friends. They didn't recognize him until he did the simplest little thing. He took the bread. He blessed the bread. He broke the bread. And he gave it to them. And in that little rhythm, that little pattern, that simple, ordinary thing, that is when they saw Jesus. That is when they recognized him. I first discovered this little principle, this little rhythm, this pattern about 2008, I think it was, maybe nine. I was at a pastor's conference 
room full of pastors, thousands, literally, of pastors. And this one pastor, you would all know his name if I called it, it's no big deal. He, he gave these pastors in the room this message about this powerful pattern, this simple, ordinary thing that Jesus did and the power that was in it, the symbolism that was in it. And it rocked me. I was like, whoa. Changed my perception about me, myself, about the world I was operating in, about my ministry. And so this morning, I want to share with you, a week after Easter, as we're celebrating the risen Jesus, I want to share with you the powerful principle that is packed in those four little things, those four steps to this pattern. So let's, let's talk about this. Let's discover this in Jesus' words. They're walking along. They're doing their thing. Jesus appears. They don't recognize him. They're sharing a conversation. They tell Jesus, here's what I think is so brilliant. What do they, the first thing they did, these two guys walking along the road, Cleopas and his friend, is they told Jesus about Jesus. <laughs> they didn't recognize him, and so they endeavored to tell Jesus about Jesus. And I wonder how many of us in this room today, I wonder how many times in the past week I myself have tried to tell Jesus about Jesus. What he's supposed to look like. What he's supposed to sound like. What he's supposed to do in my life, in our church, in this community, in this world. How many times do I pray prayers to tell Jesus what I want him to do or who he's supposed to be? And how many times have I missed Jesus because I expected him to look like something else, to sound like someone else, to do a different thing than he is actually doing. I don't know about you, but if I just rewind the tape of my life, I bet I could go back and pinpoint many, many, many times and places in my life where I was just as blind to the Lord as Cleopas was on the road to Emmaus that day. They walked together for seven miles. Seven miles. Now, I did a little bit of poking around on the web to find out what the average pace of a man walking is. By the way, according to Wikipedia, if you believe anything on Wikipedia, men outpace women by almost one mile per hour. I think it's just because we have a longer stride, maybe. I don't know. I know this. When I try to keep up with my wife, she's outpacing me by about a mile an hour. That is a fast-walking woman. So some of you ladies have somewhere to go. you got places to be, people to see, things to do, and you walk really fast. But on average, they say men walk about three and a half miles per hour. Well, if you do the math on that, and seven miles and three and a half miles an hour, that's easy math, even I can do it. That's about a two-hour journey. Let's just say they were shorter back in the day, and they didn't live the hectic lifestyles that we live today, so they walked a little bit slower, okay? They might have spent maybe, I don't know, three and a half hours making a seven-mile journey. Probably at the top end. Three and a half hours of walking together. These guys didn't recognize Jesus. And Jesus, after they told Jesus about who Jesus is and what Jesus is supposed to do and what just happened to Jesus when they're explaining to Jesus about Jesus, Jesus then says, fools, y'all are so silly. 
Check out what the scriptures say. You guys are supposed to be Jews. You're supposed to know this stuff. And he started with Moses, and he taught them throughout the Old Testament all of the prophecies and the descriptions of who the Messiah is, what the Messiah does. He, he opened up to them in a matter of hours an entire old, the entire Old Testament, all the Messianic prophecies, all the stuff that pointed to him, all the things that they, and by the way, most of the other Jews that were in Jerusalem during Holy Week had missed. What they and the temple guard and the high priest and the teachers of the law and the Pharisees had missed. All of these prophecies that point to Jesus as the Messiah I'm a little dumbfounded. I'm a little shook up if I'm them. Who is this man that has this amazing command of the Scriptures? Remember, Jesus appeared in the temple when he was 12 years old and he messed up the minds of the, tem of the teach uh, temple teachers back then when he was 12. And these priests and prophets and people of the day, they, had, they, didn't, they didn't know what to do with Jesus. He had this amazing command of the Scriptures. Do you ever stop and wonder why Jesus had such an amazing command of the Scriptures? These guys didn't stop and wonder why that day. They were blown away, but I don't think they stopped and really wondered because if they had, they might have realized they were walking with the living Word of God because in the beginning there was the Word and the Word was with God. Jesus is the Word of God alive. He didn't have to memorize those Scriptures. He is the Scriptures. He didn't have to commit to memory or study His own life. He knew. Because He was there in the beginning. He was there in the end. He was there all in the middle. And He's there today. The Word was with these men. They were walking with the living Word of God and they didn't Get it. They reach Emmaus. And the guys are like, we're here. And Jesus, being Jesus, because he's, he's, he is so cool, I mean, he's like, sweet, see ya. And the Bible says he, what, I don't want to get this right, I don't want to mislead you here. Where is it, where is it? Ah, here it is, here it is. Verse 29, they urged him strong. Oh, back up, back up. Verse 28, they approached the village to which they were going and Jesus continued on, keywords, here we go, as if he were going to go further. As if he was going to keep on going. So they're like, we're here, this is us, right here, this, this address. And he's like, cool, see y'all. Now he wasn't going anywhere, but they didn't know that. He knew, but they didn't know. He continued on as if. He was going to go. And they were like, oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. Come on, man. Come. It, I mean, it's getting late. It's going to be dark out there. The roads are dangerous. Come hang out with us. we got a comfortable place. we got, we got food to eat. Come stay with us. Now, Jesus, I think, pretended like he was going on to see, are these guys thirsty? Are these guys hungry for what I have? Because Jesus is the bread of life. He's, he's the water of life. 
if you eat of this bread, if you drink of this water, you'll never be hungry or thirsty again. He wants to see, are these guys hungry or are these guys thirsty? He's asking you today, are you hungry? Are you thirsty? Are you listening? Are you ready to receive what he's teaching you? Because he's been walking along the road of your life with you. He's been explaining to you the scriptures. He's been opening up to you the word of God. He's been sharing with you the prophecies about him, the good news. He's been sharing it through your friends, through your family, through preachers on TV, through churches, through, through tracks. You've been approached in your life by people who have tried to share Jesus with you. Are you ready? to receive the word. Are you hungry? Are you thirsty for that real life, that resurrected life that comes from a resurrected Christ? These guys were hungry. They were thirsty. They insisted that Jesus stay, and so he did. He did. As they get ready to eat, we go back to verse 30. He was at the table with them and he took the bread, he blessed the bread, he broke the bread, and he gave the bread to them. He took it, he blessed it, he broke it, and he gave it. It occurs to me that there's something familiar about that pattern. And it's not because we just read it a few minutes ago, because as I prepared for this weekend, as I followed God's lead and, and as he tugged on my heart for this message, it resonated with me, this thing that Jesus did, this, this taking, this blessing, breaking, and giving. I've heard this before. I've seen this pattern at work. I know. I know. Nick, two weeks ago, Nick, he just taught us. He just taught us about this. When we participated in the Lord's Supper, when we celebrated like Jesus did on that Thursday night so many years ago, that, that Passover meal, we celebrated it together two weeks ago. And, and in that Passover meal, if you look at Luke chapter was it 22 verse 19? We find that Jesus took the bread and he gave thanks or blessed the bread and then he broke the bread and he gave it to his disciples. Right? Jesus, he took it, he blessed it, he broke it, and he gave it. I knew I had heard that pattern. I knew I had seen that somewhere before. But you know what? It's, it's, it's deeper than that. It goes, it, goes, it goes further than that. If my memory serves me, when Jesus fed the 5,000. Oh, come on now, Lakeisha. You know, when he fed the 5,000. When he fed the 5,000, what did he do? What did he do? Matthew 24. Losing paper clips and stuff, notes all over the place up here. Matthew 24. Jesus is, is traveling across the lake. He's getting away from one group and going to another place, and he lands, and there's crowds, and Jesus takes pity, and he begins to teach and heal. And it gets late in the day. And the disciples come to Jesus. And they say, um, Hey, Lord. Hey, Lord. Helps when I get the microphone in that, doesn't it? Hey, Lord. It's getting late. A lot of people. No food. 
we got to send them away so they can go to the towns and buy something to eat. And Jesus said, no, we don't. You feed them. You feed them. They're like, what? Feed them what? We've got five loaves and two fish. That's hardly a happy meal. That's like eight fillets, man. We can't make many sandwiches out of that. And we know what happened because we know the rest of the story. Jesus took it. He blessed it. He broke it. And he gave it to the disciples to distribute to the 5,000. And they picked up more leftovers than they started with. There's something about this pattern. There's something powerful in this pattern of taking, of blessing, of breaking, and of giving. And if it's familiar to you, it may be even beyond the scriptures. It may be beyond that because you may have experienced <coughs> excuse me. You may have experienced this in your own life. Because this is a pattern that the Lord uses in everybody's life. Check it out. Abraham. Abraham. God took Abraham from Ur. He blessed Abraham with all kinds of wealth. He broke Abraham with a wife who could not have children. And then he gave Abraham the son that he had prayed for and hoped for and dreamed of and wanted so desperately. Isaac. Oh, Isaac. Taken from Sarah's barren womb. Taken from Sarah's barren womb. Blessed as the heir of the promise that God had made to his father. He broke him on Mount Moriah. And then he gave him as the hope of the nation of Israel. Joseph. Y'all know the story of Joseph? Bragged a little too much and his brothers threw him in the pit. God took Joseph out of the pit. He blessed Joseph in Potiphar's house. Gave him a high position. He broke Joseph in prison. And then he gave Joseph a high position and the authority and the power to save his family and indeed the nation of Israel from a famine, from sure death. Taking, blessing, breaking, and giving. God took Moses from the bulrushes, floated him out there in the basket. He took him out of the basket, out of the bulrushes. He blessed Moses in Pharaoh's house, in Pharaoh's family. He broke Moses in the desert as an exile. 
And then he gave Moses to deliver the nation of Israel out of slavery and to deliver them to the promised land. He gave Moses as the pastor, the priest of the Old Testament church. Jesus took Jesus from the Virgin Mary. He blessed Jesus with signs and wonders and miracles. And he broke Jesus on a cross on a hill called Calvary. And he gave Jesus on Resurrection Sunday as the way and the truth and the life, as the way for you and me to have real life, lasting life, eternal life, full life, a blessed life. There's something very potent, very powerful in this ordinary thing Jesus did. This breaking of the bread, taking it, blessing it, breaking it, and giving it. Something that resonates with all of us. No wonder Cleopas and his buddy realized it was Jesus. They had seen this before. They had seen this man operate like this before. They knew the pattern. They knew the rhythm. They recognized it from the scriptures. They recognized it in their own lives. Because here's the deal. This pattern should be familiar to every person here. Because God is in the process with you. Let me say that a different way. You are in that process, that pattern, that rhythm right now. I don't know where. I don't know in what part. You, you, I don't know. But I bet you can figure it out. I can look back on my own life and I can see many times where I've been brought through this pattern, this rhythm in my life where God has taken me from something that was comfortable, something that was known, taking me out of relationships that I thought I needed or wanted. Taking me out of places that I thought I had to be, that I could not thrive or survive if I wasn't there. He's taken me out of bad things. He's taken me out of good things. Taking me out of what was convenient, what was comfortable. What I thought I needed, what I thought I wanted. Takes me out of the ordinary. He takes you out of the ordinary so that he can put us into the extra ordinary. After he takes, God blesses. He blesses. And man, is the blessing sweet. There is no time like the blessed time. Because when you're in the phase of blessing, everything you do works. It all comes out right. Everything you touch turns to gold. 
You can do no wrong. It's the most amazing feeling in the world. I had a, a phase like this just a few years ago. I was dumbfounded. I talked to my wife. I was like, I don't know what's going on, but whatever I do, it works, and it's good. I like it. The problem with the blessed phase is it's not the final phase. And what follows after the blessing is the breaking. Breaking ain't that much fun. The breaking can be very painful. The breaking, I mean, I think by definition, has to be very painful. When you're going through the breaking phase, you're being ground up, chewed up, pressed on. It's heavy, it's hurtful, it can be dark, it can be ugly, it is painful. The breaking it's where our bad habits are broken, where our self-reliance is broken. The breaking is, is a phase that takes most of us a long time to go through because most of us have a strong will to resist and to do life our way, to glorify me, to glorify Todd, not God. Fill in the blank with your name. But when you stay in the breaking phase and God gets you good and broken and you begin to lean not on you, not on money, not on that person you thought you loved or that place you thought you needed to be or that thing you thought you had to have. But when you learn to lean on God and on God alone for your strength, for your provision, for your identity. When you learn to lean on Him, that's when you realize the breaking is the blessing. The breaking is the blessing. And after we're good and broken, what does God do with us next? He gives. He gives us away. He gives us away. When you can stand firmly and profess the greatness of God instead of the greatness of you, you're prepared to be given away. And when God gives you, You're not the gift. You know, as a pastor over the years, I've had several people who have approached me about ministry, about volunteering or serving or doing this thing or that thing, and you can tell they think they're the gift. But some of y'all aren't laughing because you know it was you at one point. I've been there. There was a time in my life where I thought I was the gift. You're not the gift. When you enter into the giving phase, you're not the gift. You're the gift bearer. Not the gift giver, the gift bearer. Jesus is the gift. God is the giver. You are his anointed and appointed bearer of that gift. And we are called and compelled to give away 
the greatest gift that has ever been given just as freely as it was given to us. We're supposed to go out into the world and make disciples, followers of Jesus by giving away the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. And many of you have given the gospel away just as it was given to you. Some of you are sitting on your hands. Some of you are going through the breaking phase. Some of you are you're going through the, the, give, the, the, uh, the taking phase. You're still attached to things you think you've got to have. God is ready to move you along. He's ready to journey with you down this road to reveal himself to you, to compel you, to call you, to break you, then to give you as the gift giver, bearing the good news of Jesus into a dark, and lost, and dying, and hell-bound world. Folks, right outside of these doors, people are dying and going to hell today. Today. And we've got the gift. We've got the gift. It's time to be given away. To take that gift, and to share that truth and that freedom, to share the love of Jesus with others. Starts in your home. It works out through your sphere, your circle of influence. Lo and behold, one of these days you may be standing before a group of people you don't even know. Or maybe just an individual you meet somewhere, the grocery store or the, the, the gas station. And you feel the Spirit of God move inside of you and says, give the gift. Some of you can't even imagine doing that today. It's so foreign, so far away. I, I, I'm scared to give the gift. Hey, just give the gift to somebody you know right now. God will grow you. He'll move you through the process many times in your life if you will let Him, if you'll be faithful to walk down the road with Him, if you'll listen to what He's saying, He's ready to take you and bless you and break you and give you.